Good morning, y'all. Uh, my name is John Baber. If you don't know me, um, I work, I'm a pastor that works with college students at UNC Charlotte. Matthew Snyder was one of those students at one time. Um, I work for a ministry called RUF, it stands for Reform University Fellowship. Basically, it's a college ministry that's connected to Christ Central, among other churches. Um, and my wife, Marianne, and I, we go to Christ Central, so happy to be here. Um, and when I first, I had written this down and then scratched it out, but <laughs> when I was first asked to preach this morning by Pastor Josh a couple weeks ago, I was like, yeah, I'm in. And then later, he's like, oh, by the way, it's a fifth Sunday, which I knew what that was, but I couldn't remember, like, what, I knew it was meant that, you know, everyone's in here, except for a nursery. And so I was trying to think, what does it mean to prepare a sermon to, to preach on a fifth Sunday and I was thinking about what, what have I seen that in the past done by Pastor Howard or Pastor Josh or Pastor Derek or whoever. Um, and I was like, I bet those are the sermons. Because, you know, you make it kind of like understandable as much as you can for kids or younger people. And I was like, I bet those are the sermons that I liked a lot. <laughs> like, I didn't notice it was a fifth Sunday. I was like, Marianne, that sermon was so good today. It made so much sense. They got rid of all the big words, <laughs> which says something about me, maybe. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to be up here with you all this morning. Um, part of my job, I work for RUF, and that means I'm in a ministry job that raises money. So I have to fully raise all my support. And a few years ago when I was starting out, I was kind of going through my list, people I knew to reach out to. And so I reached out to my sister, and her husband is in ministry, so I was like, she kind of gets the raising money thing. This is kind of a she knows I'm going to ask her. This isn't a big conversation. So I just texted her, like, hey, do you think you and Robert, your husband, are going to be able to financially support us with RUF at UNC Charlotte? And she pretty quickly was like, no, I don't think we'll be able to at this time. Uh, I was bummed. But again, they're in ministry. They don't have a ton of money. That's fine. Um, well, later that night, this is the same day, I get another text from my sister, which says, you know today's my birthday, right? Oh, um, I did not remember it was my sister's birthday. Instead of calling her to tell her happy birthday, I texted her asking for money. Um, I felt horrible. And what did I do? Like, what would you do in that situation? How would you, how would you handle that? Um, like, maybe you have something for work you're supposed to do, and you don't do it, and your boss asks you about it, or... Maybe you have like homework or chores or something you're supposed to do at home, and it's dinner time, and uh, when your parents ask you, did you get that homework done, but you didn't? Kind of what do you do in that moment where there's something you should have done, but you didn't, and you get exposed, right? Maybe you're great, maybe you're better than me, and you like come clean and apologize. You know, you do the right thing. Uh, or you're like me, and you, try to try, you start trying to think of an excuse. Like, well, oh, man. Uh, we were moving at the time across Charlotte. I'm raising a bunch of money. I'm so stressed. Like, I can't remember everyone's birthday. <laughs> and the first thing I did in my heart when I kind of got exposed for doing something wrong was I made excuses. I wanted to make myself feel better. I wanted to make her think, oh, well, it's okay. He didn't, you know, it's not his fault. I wanted to be like the victim of her birthday almost. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You'll learn a lot about me. Should I even preach today? I don't know. <laughs> I pretty much did everything in that conversation with her to try and like play it off, um, 
I tried to make a joke about it. That's a defense mechanism for me, like make a joke about a serious situation to not take responsibility. I wanted to brush it off, move on. And then a couple days later, thanks to my lovely wife, Marianne, kind of prodding me, hey, you should like actually apologize. Um, a couple days later, I picked up the phone and called her and actually was like, hey, that was messed up what I did. It wasn't some huge atrocity I'd committed, some awful thing. In the grand scheme of things, like, not a huge deal. No one was hurt. But when I realized I had forgotten her birthday, I was selfish, self-centered, unloving, unkind. I tried to avoid responsibility for what I'd done. And thankfully, when I did call her, she showed me a lot of grace. She was like, it's not a big deal. Thanks for calling. It wasn't a big deal. But I still felt awful. That wasn't, that wasn't good. I can tell by y'all's laughing at me that it wasn't good. Um, and the point of me telling y'all that isn't so you can just like learn a little more about me, uh, so you can know I'm a bad person who's not going to remember your birthday, so sorry. Um, but it's how you can see how I responded when I got caught, when I was in trouble, what I did. I wanted to avoid it. I wanted to play the blame game. I wanted to run as far away from the problem as possible. However, if it, it, what if I'd had like a moment of clarity where things made sense, where I remembered who I am, kind of a broken sinner who's going to mess up, but how that sin, how that bad had been wiped away by Jesus, and how my life's covered in his grace? What if instead of thinking about myself in that moment wanting to protect myself, I thought about Jesus? Easier said than done, right? See, Jesus, he died on the cross for my sins and all the wrong and bad things I've ever done, I ever will do? And what if instead of immediately wanting to defend myself, protect myself, I trusted Jesus? And that because of him, I don't have to run away and hide. But again, it's not what I did. Because if, I'd, if I had done that, if I had said, you know what, like, I have to acknowledge I messed up and trust Jesus here, that it's okay, I can apologize and that would have required, I didn't want to do that because it would have required me to face that I had messed up, right? Like, I started, like, making up excuses and stuff because I didn't want to accept that I had messed up, that I was messed up, that I could forget something, that I could ask someone for money on their birthday, that I love myself maybe more than I love my sister or anyone else. And I don't want to think about that stuff, right? I don't want to think how bad I can be and how I can run away from my problems, and so with that in mind, we, we just read Psalm 51 together. And I heard someone this past week uh, talking about the Psalms. Uh, and they, they, they talked about the Psalms like this. They said the Psalms, we have to keep reading them. You know, we're preaching through them this summer here at Christ Central. We have to keep reading the Psalms because they put words to the feelings I can feel, but that I don't have the words for. And in this Psalm, we get a glimpse of David, the mind and heart of this king, David, Right? And he had just done something wrong. It's kind of a whole other sermon to go into all the things he had done wrong. But if you know about King David, he's got some messed up stuff he did. And we're going to hear his words after he was exposed. He had done a lot of things, not good, and he had tried to cover them up and run away from his problems. Just like I do. Just like you probably do. But more than that, kind of like when Marianne, my wife, called me out, um, on how I hadn't apologized to my sister for eating, about forgetting her birthday. Uh, a guy named Nathan was kind of David's Marianne, I guess. Uh-huh. A guy named Nathan came to King David, and he confronts him about what he did. 
Nathan, this guy, his friend, comes to King David, and he says, you've done wrong, you've tried to cover it up, you've tried to run away from God. And so David had to face the truth, like I did when Marianne was like, you've got to apologize to your sister. David had to face who he truly was. See, when Marianne called me out, I got a little defensive, and I was like, well, yeah, it'd be good to, I, like, I know it'd be good to apologize, right? But it's not a big deal, it's just a birthday. I don't really need to. That's not how King David responds when Nathan calls him out. And he had done some, David had done some stuff way worse than forgetting a birthday. David had done things that physically and emotionally hurt people, and he got called out for it, and he had to face it. But instead of making excuses, like we so often do, David rejoices. He wrote a song, right? He praises God for being kind to him, for being merciful to him. He thanks God because he knows he deserved to get in trouble for what he did, and God didn't get him in trouble. So he's thanking God for not punishing him, though he deserves it. Um, Howard's not here anymore, so all bets are off. I can say whatever I want. No more rules. So I went to the University of Alabama. <laughs> a way better school than Clemson. No one would argue with me. <clears throat> and people often ask, I know this is like really arrogant to say, but I'm just, it's, it, it fits with the sermon, just trust me. Uh, people ask, uh, do you ever get tired? Like, bo- is it get it boring being an Alabama fan? Because you know, every year you're going to like probably do it on the regular season, go to the playoffs. Yeah, I know that sounds really arrogant. It's kind of true, though. Um, <laughs> like, does it get boring? You know you're going to get to the playoffs every year and like, have a chance to win it all every year in college football. People ask, like, are you just still excited when y'all do win? Of course I do. That's what we do. We're people, right? When we win something, we are excited. Something good happens, we celebrate, we throw a parade. Uh, we don't, when we lose, we don't throw a parade, so I like parades. So we, we win, we throw a parade, that's fun. Um, but not King David. He's done awful things. He's hurt multiple people. And when he realizes what he's done, like he shouldn't throw a parade or anything, he shouldn't be singing a song. But for some re- weird reason, he does. He starts praising God, singing songs. Again, if it was me, I'd either be in denial about what I'd done, I'd make excuses, or I'd be so overcome with like the guilt and sadness of how I felt that I would never get out of bed again if I had to be honest about who I was and what I'd done. And so instead of being really sad about the bad stuff he's done, why does David decide to sing songs? Again, that's weird. Like, we just read the psalm, and we're like, oh, yeah, it's just a song. But it's like, there was context here of he had just been exposed for his sin by this guy named Nathan, and he decides to sing a song, to write a song. That's weird, again. Like, if you don't, (laughs) that's weird to me. I don't know. Maybe y'all do that. Um, Why doesn't he try to argue with this Nathan guy or argue with God? And again, he's the king. Like, I'm just me. He's the king. He could just be like, you know, be gone with that Nathan guy. I don't want to see him ever again. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to feel the bad stuff if he doesn't want to. And again, if you know the full story, this guy Nathan comes to David and he says, Hey, King David, you've done some bad stuff and you haven't told anyone about it. You've been keeping it all in here and you deserve to get in trouble. Like God deserves to punish you. He's like, what do you think about that, David? David gets called out. He'd done something wrong and got caught. And this guy Nathan came to him and confronted him about his sin. And David has, for the first time in this process, which 
as far as like historians, people who study the Bible, it was a year after he'd done bad stuff. So David had spent a year just kind of living in his sin, not acknowledging it. And this is the first time when Nathan comes to him that he's realized, you know, I've actually done something wrong. Realized he deserves punishment for what he's done. And it's also the first time he realizes he's done something wrong, but it's also the first time he's realized that God's already forgiven him. God could have really punished him, right? But he decided not to. And so what does David do? He writes a song to celebrate what God's done for him. How many people in this room, if you get in trouble with like a boss or parents or a teacher, um, you take all the ways it makes you feel inside, you get in trouble, and then you're like, I'm just going to go home and write a song. That's just going to make me feel better. But that's what David did. He took this really hard moment where he's in trouble and he put his feelings and his emotions into words and a song. And if you decided, so if you did do that, if next time you got in trouble for something, you decided to make a song about it, how would you start your song? What would it be about at the beginning? Like, what's the first things you would say? Look how King David chooses to start out his song. He tells us he's bad. He starts a song saying, I'm messed up. If you wrote a song after doing something bad and getting in trouble, you wouldn't start it like that. Like, my song would start like, I'm great. I don't really do much wrong. Okay, I did one thing wrong, but like, I'm great. It doesn't rhyme. I'll have to workshop it, but um, it'll never happen again. But here's the first few words again of Psalm 51, David's song. Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sins ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So the first thing we see David do in his song is he acknowledges his sin and the bad things he did. And not only that, in verse 3 it says, he says, I know my transgressions. And like the, the Hebrew word, the original word used here that David used, it carries this connotation of like deeply know with like intimacy. This isn't just like I'm aware of the things I've done. It's like I know them. Like I live in a house with the things I've done and I have to live with that and I know them intimately. Um, it's like the way you would talk about, it's the same word you would use in the Hebrew, in the, old, in the language here, that if you're talking about your friend or your spouse, you're like, I know them, like, closely. That's how David talks about the things he's done. He feels them, he knows them on a deep, personal level. And he doesn't just recognize and know his sin, he's aware it's his sin, right? That's important, too. Blot out my transgressions, he says. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression. He keeps saying, this is mine. This is my stuff. Over and over again, it's his sin. It's my sin. He's not brushing it off or blaming. I could have texted my sister back and be like, my phone got hacked. I don't want your money. It wasn't me. Like, how often does that happen? Especially in, like, college sports. It happens all the time. These guys tweet something out. and like, I got hacked. Like, who's, what? That doesn't. <laughs> Anyways. 
Anytime uh, I get called out for doing something wrong, my first thought is, where can I point the blame? So that no one thinks it was my fault. I didn't eat that cookie, my, my, my sister did, or like, uh, my mom said don't go over there, but my brother went over there, and I was just following him. It's his fault. He made me go over there. David's not shifting the blame. He's not trying to cover bad things up anymore. He's honest about who he is, and he realizes he has done something horrible, and it's entirely his fault. And see, one of the first things we've got to learn here from David in Psalm 51 um, is his honesty. Are we dishonest? We've got to be brutally honest with ourselves. Do we recognize that we have problems? Do we want to admit we have problems? Do we want to admit when we do something wrong or when we hurt someone? Like, we may read this passage and be like, well, I've never done things as bad as what David did, so like, as long as I'm not as bad as him, I'm good. But Romans 3 tells us, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. David himself, here in verse 5, says, in sin my mother conceived me. We aren't off the hook. But are we at least willing to start the process of acknowledging our own problems and our sin as David eventually did? Let's be honest with ourselves, with others, and with God. This is where the idea of community comes in, right? Where friends come in. That's why talking and sharing with friends and family matters. Again, it's not that David went an entire year of just kind of bottling this stuff up before his friend Nathan confronted him. And that means without his friend Nathan, without someone stepping in, like, would he have ever admitted it if he didn't have someone there? Do you have people in your life who can be this honest with you? Able to talk to whether it's your parents, brother, sister, friends, pastor? Do you have people you can talk to about hard things? People who can see when you do bad things and call you out? when you're doing something wrong or when they think you need help? I know I personally, I prefer, maybe this isn't you, but I prefer to keep relationships a lot of times at like an arm's length. Like you can't know my stuff. You can know a little bit about me, but not all the way. I'm scared of you to see who I truly am and that I'm going to forget your birthday or do something worse. This isn't supposed to be my therapy session up here, but man, I can feel like I'm a failure sometimes. Like, I'm not as good or talented or smart as others. Um, and if someone becomes my friend, they're going to find out too. Like, if, they're, if they don't know me super well, they'll never find out how garbage I can be sometimes. Um, I don't want people to know the truth about me, that I mess up. I don't want people here at Christ Central to know me, because I don't want to stand up here and preach a sermon to y'all. And then y'all are, like, sitting back like, man, that guy just said, the Bible says don't be a jerk, but he's a jerk every time I talk to him right? I don't want y'all to know. I want people to know, like, the Facebook or Instagram version of me. When I let people in, beyond that, they get to know the real John Baber, and that can be scary. But we've got to have people in our life that really know us. Again, do you have people in your life who really know you? See, God used Nathan in the story to confront David and bring out the truth, to let him know that what he was doing wasn't okay and that he deserved punishment. And honestly, I'd say we're often scared of allowing people like Nathan into our lives. I think all of us can be. 
We can also just say things like, I've got enough friends already. Like, I don't have time for another relationship, another friendship. Too busy. Those are excuses I've used in the past. But deep down, the truth can either be laziness or just be fear. Are we honest honest enough with the depth of our sin and our problems, with the depth of our own responsibility and the things we do? If we truly were, we'd understand how much we need community, and particularly community in the church. And again, I'm preaching to myself. It's not a therapy session, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm a verbal processor. I'm kind of going to have a long prayer today after this about who I am. Um, So after the confrontation with Nathan, David tells the truth. He's honest with himself. He realizes, you know, I've done something wrong. And he says he intimately knows his sin. He knows it's his fault for sinning. He knows it's his sin. And now what does he do? Now he's come to that place. He's honest about who he is and what he's done. How does he respond now? So the next verse is, he responds by asking God to clean him. He tells God, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. See, David knows his actions have made him dirty, that he's messed things up and that he can't clean himself. No amount of like self-improvement, self-help books are going to help here. No amount of committing to just like, I'll just be better next time, like it won't happen again. It's not going to be good enough. In verse 10, David asks God to not just clean him, but he says, create in me a clean heart. Like he's asking God for a whole new heart, because this one's so messed up. In his most vulnerable moment, when all the bad stuff's fully exposed, it's all out there, David turns to God for help. Why? Because he knows that only God has the power to do it. When we confess our sins to God, next time think about this idea. Think about how the things you've done have made you dirty, have messed you up. Your heart is broken and messed up. But, but, we have access to a God. We can talk to a God who will wash us and make us a clean heart. A God who actually enjoys cleaning us. Like, this isn't a burden or a problem to him. It's because of my dirtiness that he wants to know me, that he wants to clean me. This is what draws him to us. The fact that we do have problems and sin and we do things wrong. This is why he loves us. When we were thinking of the name, Mary and I have a little boy who's often running around here. He's not right now. Named Jackie. I uh, we went through various name ideas. It was a family name. Um, and so I'll give you one that we passed up on, a name we passed up. It was a 16th century theologian. It was named Wolfgang Musculus. Yeah. <laughs> Just, we left that one on the table, so if any of y'all want to grab it, feel free. Um, Wolfgang Musculus. So he, a commentary on Psalm 51, he kind of wrote uh, just some of his thoughts on reading Psalm 51. And he says this, and I'll read it twice because it's a little wordy. He says, God alone is the one who can remit sins and pacify a disturbed and anxious conscience. And David doesn't say, remember, Lord, how righteously I walked in your sight before sin. Have regard for the rest of my righteousness. For even if I sinned here, in other things I obeyed your will. He mentions none of these things, but he stands naked, devoid of all righteousness to God. So again, God alone is the one who can remit sins and pacify a disturbed and anxious conscience. And David doesn't say, remember, Lord, how righteously I walked in your sight before sin. Have regard for the rest of my righteousness. 
For even if I sin here and other things, I obeyed your will. No, he mentions none of these things, but he stands naked, devoid of all righteousness. So this means that David knows, the point here is that David knows he's talking to a holy and a clean God. And that nothing he's done, even if he was really great before he did this sin, none of it was going to be good enough. Nothing's going to deserve this holy, clean, pure God's kindness. And he knows he's dirty. And the only way to come anywhere close to God is to be as clean as God. And he knows he's got no shot. All the good he might have done throughout his life or he was going to do from here on out, it wasn't going to be good enough to fix this, to make him clean. David knows he can't do it on his own. He has to tell the truth about himself, knowing that the truth is he is sinful and he's done something wrong and he's never going to be clean enough for God. So instead, David has to go to God relying totally on God's love and his mercy and his kindness. And so, so far, we've seen um, what David's done wrong, how he's confronted by Nathan, how he responds by singing the song of honesty. And so now, what does God do in this moment? How does God respond to David's sin? How does he enter into this moment with David? Second uh, Samuel 12 says, David said to Nathan, the guy confronted him, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. I've sinned against you, God. And Nathan says, The Lord's put away your sin, you shall not die. So David's done this awful stuff. He realizes he's done it. And his friend Nathan tells David, It's all right, David. I'm here to confront you on this. You should have really received a harsh punishment. Punishment, But God's forgiven you. So what is, how does God interact here? He spares David. He loves David. He doesn't give him what he deserves. This is like, and again, this is like a fifth Sunday. I was trying to think of good illustrations. Um, it was really hard uh, for fifth Sunday illustrations. But it's like your friend having a cookie you want. We've all been there. Your friend has something you want. Um, I'll say a cookie in this illustration. You can pretend it's something else. Um, you know it's your friend's cookie and not yours. You know if you take it and you eat it, your friend's going to be mad, right? You're going to be in trouble. And then your friend leaves the room, and it's just sitting there. The cookie is, you, just, you can like taste it just looking at the chocolate chips in it. It's not oatmeal raisin, so you know it's a good one. <laughs> and you know your friend's going to be mad, but you're like, ah... I just got to do it. You grab it. You eat it. Your friend walks back in the room. You make eye contact. And you can't just be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, you literally just did it. You just ate his cookie. Like, sorry isn't, like, it was five seconds ago. You did that. You can't just take everyone's cookies and say sorry. Everyone knows that. And you know you're telling your friend sorry isn't going to cut it. Your friend's going to be really mad. Because even if you say sorry, he doesn't have a cookie. But he's not mad. And what does your friend do? He just says, it's all right. He like, actually accepts that apology, and it's actually okay. Again, I know that was kind of a silly illustration, but this is what happened to David. He knew he shouldn't do the things he had done. He knew there was punishment for what he did. But God didn't give him what he deserved. Isn't this us, right? The amount of things I do when I know they're wrong, 
We know we deserve to be in trouble with others and with God, but he somehow forgives us time and time and time and time again. There's a show I watched recently that I'm not necessarily recommending um, that dealt with this idea of forgiveness. Um, the point of this episode, it's like kind of a reality show. I don't know. It was real. I don't know. I wouldn't call it reality. Um, that's weird. It was real but not reality. Um, the point of this episode was that the host of the show is actually a guy named Nathan, which is funny enough. Um, he asked on the internet, on Craigslist, if you know what that is, for someone, yeah, that kind of shows you, like, who might show up for whatever you're asking. Uh, he asked on Craigslist for someone who had lied to someone they knew, someone who had told a lie, and it was eating away at them, and they wanted to confess, right? He's like, send me a video about what your lie is, and you want to confess, and I'll help you confess. So this guy, Cor, is his name. He comes on Nathan's show. And so Cor, this is ridiculous. This story I'm about to tell you, but hang with me. Cor uh, plays trivia every week with a group of friends. So he goes and plays games like restaurants and bars every week. He's played with them for years. And years ago, they asked him what his college degree is, and he told him he had a master's degree, but he didn't have one. He had a bachelor's degree. This is the lie that's been eating away at him. And it's because his friends are starting sending him like job applications for jobs that require master's degrees. And he would just like tell them he had applied. So like the like at building, he's like, oh yeah, I sent it in, I got denied, sorry. So it was eating away at him, and he continued lying to his friends for years, and he was ready to come clean. To tell the truth. And this show is like kind of a comedy too. Like it's supposed to be ridiculous. Um but he was worried that if he told the truth to his friends, he had one friend in particular who was going to be really upset with him. And like, might even like end the friendship. Like, call him names, end the friendship. He was terrified of what this friend was going to say to him. He was scared because he knew the consequences for what he had done, for his lie. He knew he deserved to get in trouble. So again, the premise of this show, Nathan, he's going to help Cor rehearse the confession so he can be prepared no matter what happens no matter where the conversation goes. So how do they prepare? Cor uh, decides he's going to tell his friend, there's like this restaurant they play trivia in every week. He's like, I'm going to invite her just with me, just me and her one-on-one. We're going to play trivia, and I'm going to tell her at the end. So they, so Nathan builds in like this empty warehouse a one-to-one reconstruction of the restaurant that they're going to be in. And then they like hire an actress who they have secretly meet the friend so she can like pretend to be her in the conversation. They hire a bunch of other actors to like be in the restaurant and act like it's a normal night. And basically they rehearse over and over and over again the conversation where he confesses his lie. And they have like this ridiculous flow chart of the conversation of all the ways it goes. And like if she says this, crack a joke and try to late take it here. <laughs> it's insane. It's crazy. Um, so they prepare and rehearse for weeks. Until the night arrives. And this show literally started like two weeks ago, but I'm already going to ruin it for you. Um, I'm going to spoil the ending. None of you are going to watch it. It's okay. <laughs> um, it's a weird show. Um, so the night arrives. Some things are kind of going. He's with his friend. Some things are going according to plan. Some things aren't, but like he's kind of on track. And he gets to the place at the end. He's finally ready to come clean. He's going to tell the truth. And he does it. And how does she respond? She says, oh, that's weird that you'd like lie about that. But that's okay. 
That's it. She's not mad. She forgives him. Corey knew he lied for years, and he felt so burdened by it. Like, this was crazy. She's going to hate me forever. There's going to be punishment. And instead of yelling at him and calling him names, his friend simply just forgives him and moves on. And Cor, again, he had built this up, and he had rehearsed for weeks for this interaction. He was so relieved. The kindness and the forgiveness he experiences totally changes the rest of the conversation. Because he had, like, rehearsed, I'm going to do it at the end after trivia, and then I'm going to, like, get out of there. I've got a way to end the conversation. I've just got to go, because it might get bad. And he ends up staying there for hours, like, telling her about his life. He's, like, sharing his life story with her, things he hadn't told anyone, because she had forgiven him. And he experienced, like, this love that he wasn't expecting, this kindness. And he just opens up, and he's like, I don't want to tell you everything about me. I feel so loved right now. Hey, it's a ridiculous show, and it's supposed to be, but seeing Cor do something wrong, be forgiven, shown grace and mercy, and he decides to open up in ways he didn't even know he could, it was beautiful. And while the bad things that David did were far worse than lying about your master's degree, both things deserve punishment, and someone would be upset with you and angry at you. And both of them, Cor and David, were both shown totally undeserved forgiveness and grace. And this is how God treats us every day. We do bad things. We sin, various levels, different ways. We can hurt people. We can hurt ourselves. We can attempt to hurt God with things we do, but God spares us every time, and he loves us. And so what do we do with that? When we confess to God, we're made clean. God sent his son to make us clean on the cross. How do we respond to that kind of love? But what does David do? Again, he's fully aware of God's forgiveness. He's got to respond. He's got to do something. He doesn't know. He's got to, like Kor did, he's got to open up. He's got to do something. In verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. In response to how he's been forgiven, he writes a song, as we said, but he also decides, he's like, I'm going to teach others. I'm going to tell others about this. This crazy forgiveness I've experienced. Now, see, when I was younger in the church, I don't know about you, but when I was younger in the church, and I was a Christian, um, and someone would talk about, like, telling others about Jesus, I would immediately feel, like, guilty or weird about it. Like, okay, I guess I just have to, like, do my, tell ten people about Jesus this week to be a good Christian. Um, that's what you have to do, right? You just be a good Christian and tell people. It's like a rule. I just want to check a box and be a good Christian. Uh, it was something I felt like I had to do, not something I wanted to do. But the thing here with David... He's talking about telling others about God. When he says, I'll teach transgressors your ways. Why does, he, why does he do that? It's not because of some rule, some like, okay, well now I guess this is what I have to do. Again, if you remember Corey, he confessed to his friend, he lied and she forgave him. And he was so excited, he just had to like start talking and opening up and being like, here's how I feel. This is incredible. He's got to share his whole life with his friend. That's what David's doing here. He's telling others about Jesus. It's not something that he's just coming out of guilt or duty, following rules to be a good person. He's so 
overjoyed and with forgiveness he's received from God, he just has to tell people. He's so excited. Like Kor, David wants to share his story and his life with others. And at this point, the biggest part of his story in his life is that God's forgiven him. He can't help but tell people about it because he's so excited. David is simply, he's seen the depths of his sin, and in turn, he's seen the depths of God's grace and mercy. And now he's so overjoyed that he can't help but praise God and tell others. And so I'm kind of coming towards the end here. I want us to be challenged by this me to be challenged by this? No matter how old you are in the room, do you think you've done or thought bad things? Do you think that you've sinned? And are you willing to bring that to Jesus? To tell him what you've done? To be honest? And then are you willing to rest in the fact that he forgives you? To live a life where you know that God's forgiven you and you're so excited that you can't help but show it and share it with others. And now look, you may not be here today. You may not be there today. Like this is a process, right? And maybe you don't even think you do bad things. Maybe you're still figuring out what that even means in your life. Maybe you know you do bad things, but you're not ready to talk to Jesus or anyone else about him. Or maybe you think that you do bad stuff or like your life is, has sin in it and there's problems, but like it's too big for Jesus. And you can't trust him with that. You're thinking, I've done bad, but there's no way God would forgive me of this if I actually told him. So again, this is a process, and you can be anywhere in the process there and trying to figure out how to take the next step. And if you find yourself anywhere in there and you're not sure where to move forward, I would encourage you to talk to me or the pastors or elders here at Christ Central. Or maybe if you're younger and you're kind of figuring out what Jesus means and what sin is, um, talk to your parents. Parents, if you're not sure what to do with that <laughs> and you're scared of that conversation, um, Reach out to someone on staff here at Christ Central. Email Pastor Josh. I'm sure he's got nothing going on next week. I'm sure he's free. Just kidding. I don't know what he's doing next week. Um, yeah, reach out to someone. And look, even if you want to take this next step and figuring all this out, know this. It's probably not going to be like this instantaneous moment for you of figuring it out, like in your brain, in your heart. It might take some time for you to figure it all out, and that's okay, Okay? See, in our culture today, we like things that are fast and easy. If you're a teenager, a kid, an adult, we all do. When your stomach starts growling, you're going to the pantry. You want to fix it immediately. When you try to like, watch something online, and like, it start, you have the little buffering circle, and you're just like, Inter- how is the internet so bad? <laughs> Meanwhile, we're like beaming something to space, and it's like coming back. I don't know. It's crazy. Um, but we're so like, impatient with it because we come to expect it. We want it fast. And I want to hear a sermon. I want to hear a message and go, great, I've got it. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'll be a perfect Christian. Like, I don't have to take the work to figure it out. I just want it to snap my fingers and it's done and move on. See you next Sunday, right? We don't feel like there's time to struggle and grow. Rimber Brown, he's a writer uh, who covers pop culture, politics, sports, A number of years ago, he wrote this one of his articles. He said, In our culture, to be a work in progress is nearly unacceptable because the currency that drives our culture isn't self-improvement, but instead it's the ongoing erosive process of each person on each side designating who's wrong and who's right. 
And I'll read that again. He said, In our culture, to be a work in progress is unacceptable because the currency that drives our culture isn't self-improvement, but it's the ongoing erosive process of each person on each side designating who's wrong and who's right. What that means is we don't like to wait on ourselves or others. Getting better, growing, it takes time, it takes patience, it takes work, and I don't have time for that. There's too many things I want to do. I'm not waiting around. And he's saying that even when we look at others, this is where like the idea of stereotypes come in. It's just that you see something and you just want to quickly think, oh, that's what this person is or what they do, because you don't want to know that person individually or understand they're a complex human. We want to assume things that people can't change or grow because that's easier than showing people grace and knowing them. To encourage them to be more than they might be today. I just want to look at the world and I want to be like, all right, that person over there, that's a bad person. Uh, this person's a good person. I can trust them, not them. Da, 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 da. Like that with everyone, right? We want to keep it simple. We don't have time for people to grow, for complexity, for dealing with our own stuff. And if you don't have all your stuff figured out right now, you want to be like, I don't have time for you. And then we turn around and again, we apply this to ourselves. We see all the bad things we can do or think. And be like, I'm a bad person with no hope. Or we look at the good things we do and be like, you know, I'm actually pretty good. Like, I don't really need this, any kind of Jesus. Let me tell you, both need Jesus there. Whether you think you're too bad for Jesus or too good for Jesus, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that you need more Jesus. I need more Jesus. And figuring out where Jesus fits in all that can be hard. It can be a struggle. It can take a long time. When I texted my sister asking for ministry money on her birthday, and I realized what I'd done, what I want to do, I want to make excuses, brush it under the rug. I want to be like, I messed up, all right, but it's not my fault. Things are hard right now. Let's just move on. I'm not trying to enter into this hard process of actually telling her sorry and having to deal with the fact that I'd done something bad. We don't want to wrestle with the idea that we're sinners. Who, though we're saved by grace and growing in Christ, we're still sinners who are going to mess up, and we don't want to think about that. But again, the truth is, growth takes time. King David did some awful stuff. And it wasn't until a year later that God sent Nathan to talk to him. I did something bad to my sister. I did confess for a couple days. David spent an entire year reading confess or apologize to anyone. God let him sit there with it for a year because he wanted David to grow and be better for it, and understand the kindness of Jesus. So don't lose hope. Don't lose patience. Because you're not perfect today, because you know Jesus, yet you keep messing up. But we have to understand that we do have problems, right? Why would I want you to think something so bad about yourself? Because without seeing the depths of your problems and your sin... And like David, owning up to it, you're not going to understand how deep God's grace is. That it's deep enough for you too. There's a song by Matt Boswell. We may have done it here at Christ Central, I don't remember. Um, it's called His Mercy is More. Uh, and this song does a good job uh, showing God's mercy and forgiveness. Uh, the chorus says, Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness and new every morn. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Our sins there are many, his mercies more. We have to know our sins, like David, bad things we've done, if we want to know just how much God really loves us, how deep that love goes. 
And it's from here that we can know the joy that filled David's heart when he wrote this psalm, when he promised to tell others about the Lord and to praise his name. So as we leave here today, I want us to look inside ourselves, look and see if we have any kind of joy like David's had. I don't mean like just like things are going well, I'm happy right now, like a, a, like a joy about Jesus of some kind. And there's seasons to that, man. Like there's seasons where I have trouble seeing that joy. But I want us to look and think, have we ever felt that joy? Yeah, I'm not talking about are you having a good day. That's not how it works. I want you to look inside and ask, am I excited to ever talk to people about any of this because I've experienced something so beautiful and kind? And I'm not saying that to guilt you again, but just for you to think about it. Am I excited to worship God? Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of heartbreaking psalms that David writes. I don't want to lie to you and make you think the Christian life is like easy and always happy and good times only. But have we ever had this reaction to what God's done? I want us to come to this realization together. If I feel like I'm having trouble seeing, like, feeling this faith in my life, maybe it's because I haven't understood how big my sin is and how much God loves me. In his book, I'll actually finish here. I know I said that earlier. But in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, uh, Paul David Tripp writes, We need more than acceptance or practical strategies for change. We need the forgiveness, the deliverance, and the empowerment that only God's grace can give. This is at the heart of what David's writing in Psalm 51. This is what we mean at RUF at UNC Charlotte when I tell students that Christianity isn't about getting right with God. It's about trusting that God has made it right. So being a Christian, being saved by Jesus, has nothing to do with you doing the right things. It's about trusting that he sees you, that Jesus sees you, no matter where you are. He forgives you and he loves you. And it's only by his grace and his mercy that we can live in a joy that allows us to truly worship, enter into worship with God, and to tell others about him. And life is hard, y'all. There's good days, there's bad days, and I know some of us feel like it's only bad days. But take it to Jesus. Tell him about it. Lay it all out for him, and he's going to hear you. He's going to tell you it's all going to be okay in the end. He's got you. All right. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this Sunday, these people, your people, God, um, how you move with us, how you love us, how you see us, and the things we do, no matter if they're good or bad, you're just drawn to us, God. You can't help but move towards us and love us. And would you allow us to bring all this to you? Um, whether it's our first time doing it or the hundredth time, God. Let us just bring these things to you and to just accept that you do love us. And be with us the rest of this day and the rest of this week and the rest of this worship time. In your name I pray, amen.